bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. How many times have you heard people in the staffing industry say, we're in a relationship business? Today's guest proves just how true that statement really is. In this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success, we chat with Sarah Luxinger, Vice President of Organizational Development with Seek Careers. Sarah and her team at Seek have been serving employers and job seekers in Wisconsin and Minnesota for 51 years. And the secret of their ongoing success? Well, you guessed it. It's been all about relationships. In today's show, we discuss why relationships matter more than ever in a remote world, where all the talent has gone, and how recruiting today is about a lot more than pay rates, how to compete and win in the new war for retention, what the best employers are doing to work with staffing partners in new ways, and we have a little fun talking about the importance of strength finders. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Back in August of 2021, Haley Marketing celebrated our 25th birthday. As part of our celebration, we did what we do best, gave away lots of ideas with a special event called the Smart Ideas Summit. Over seven hours, we had 14 presentations by the industry's leading consultants, sharing ideas on strategy, sales, recruiting, operations, and of course, marketing. And good news, we recorded everything and made it free to watch. You can check out all the presentations at haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. Again, that URL is haleymarketing.com forward slash the number 25 B-A-S-H. We hope you enjoy our birthday present to the staffing industry. Hey, Vicki, so it feels like it's been a long time since we've recorded a session of Secrets of Staffing Success. I don't know, how you feeling the same way? Yeah, I'm feeling this. I have no idea when it was, actually. Can't even think back to the last one. So much has happened. I think uh, that's because, well, last week, for those listening, last week was our big annual holiday event here at Haley Marketing. And for Vicki and I, we sort of completely get engrossed in setting up this. And it was it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And now we can actually get to holiday season. So how are you coming with your holiday shopping? Um, well, <laughs> my cookies are underway. <laughs> I still have to buy some gifts. We'll figure and it that, out. And that's really a self-serving question because as most people listening probably know, uh, in addition to being co-CEOs, Vicki and I are married. So if her holiday shopping is done, mine's done. If hers is in bad shape, I'm in trouble. So yeah, he buys like trouble for me and he's probably in trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to something that's not trouble. Let's uh, let's welcome our guest today. So today we have Sarah Luxinger with us, who is the vice president of organizational development at SEEK. Sarah, welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here with you both. We're excited to have you. I'm, I'm glad to meet you. So nice this was to supposed to well. originally be a live recording at Staffing World. Unfortunately, you had to go home. But you know what? I will tell you, 
it's easier this way. No one's walking past us. Maybe someone's going to walk by our cameras, but nobody's walking past us. Nobody's pushing a tray of dishes right next to all the microphones. Piece of cake. So Sarah, if you would just um, give everybody a little introduction to yourself and to Seek. Wonderful. Well, I am Sarah Lexinger. I've been with Seek Careers and Staffing for 25 and a half years. And our company, uh, Seek Careers, is a commercial staffing firm. We really place people primarily in light industrial and office and skilled manufacturing roles. So our niche, like most of Wisconsin, we're blue collar um, manufacturing. We make the products that make the world go round. Mm -hmm. So we're excited to be in that area. We also have offices in Minnesota and uh, we've been in business for almost 51 years. So uh, next year we'll celebrate 51. It was a banner year for us. And I started the same way everyone else starts in this industry. I fell into it by accident. (laughs) What I thought was applying for a customer service job. And I can't believe that here I am 25 and a half years later, still in the industry, still love it. And couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's a great story. I think it is the story I hear a lot, though. People start out in some smaller job and they stay because they love it and they're so passionate about it. What what in particular are you passionate about? For me, I love to solve problems. So Mm -hmm. I think this is industry as a whole, that's that's what you are. You're solving problems, whether it's for an employee, you're finding them an opportunity, um, whether it's for a client, you're finding them the right person. Uh, And as as in the position I'm in now, I think that the challenge is always how to do it better, faster, uh, but still provide extraordinary customer service. So uh, for me, that technology, the the ever-changing, no two days are the same. The fact that I never watch the clock in this business mm-hmm. is they're just all those things that are just so attractive. And the people that you get to meet and the experiences in our industry, it, it really is truly a one-of-a-kind business. I completely agree with you. I love, I'm a problem solver too. And I'm very much on the customer service side. In fact, I write, uh, I've been writing for, years about shareworthy service, many, many years. So Sarah, um, we were talking just before we recorded that one of the things that Vicki and I both loved about your LinkedIn profile is the way you wrote the description, change champions, staffing thought leader, wannabe techie who thrives on developing partnerships, and then ideation, futuristic, individualization, achiever, arranger. So Vicki and I both spotted that and said, that must be strength finders. So tell us about that. Sure. Absolutely. So I have people that have often asked me what my strengths are and have I done the strengths finder profile? And I did it years ago. I, you know, I can't even remember. I think it's got to be at least 15 years. When did the book come out? Anyone know? It was way back then. At least. Yeah. So I had it printed out for the longest time on hard copies, but you know, who carries stuff with them? (laughs) I thought I need to have this where I can remember. So when somebody asks me, I know what my strengths are. And so what I found was that I put it on my LinkedIn profile because those are my strengths. And now I always know where to look for it. (laughs) 
Do any of those really speak to you or are are those, um, do you think that that's changed over the years? If you took it 15 years ago and took it today, is it the same? I think it absolutely has to be the same. Ideation is probably the number one strength that I have. And anyone will tell you that, um, that I am always the idea person that comes to the table with, okay, let's try this or let's try that. And I, I can't, I can't even imagine not having that as my top strength. So uh, yes, it's really kind of interesting. People that know the strengths often will pick, pick those out. I think in the middle there, they get, they get a little surprised, but. So how do your strengths translate to being really successful in the staffing industry? Oh, great question. Uh, I would say that for me, the reason why the ideation and the futuristic really go hand in hand in this industry is being able to see where is the industry going and what are the changes and how can we prepare, especially during this time when we need to be on top of technology. I think a lot of organizations before the pandemic hit in 2020 were not prepared for a digital process, an online process or virtual process. And I'm really proud to say that our organization not only was ready, but we were prepared almost turnkey to do that uh, right away from the get-go. And as a light industrial, we're mainly a light industrial organization. Um, So the people that we place are manufacturing individuals. Uh, We did not miss a beat and our offices were closed to the public uh, for 13 months because of our technology. So I think that those two things go hand in hand. That's great. I hear so many light industrial offices that really struggled because they needed to get back open as soon as they could to get people back in interviewing. How were you successful getting through 13 months of being closed to the public and still filling all those manufacturing and distribution jobs? Well, you know, I think it was a little bit of a a change or a, a, a culture shift for our employees to be able to move that process in their minds from people walking through the doors uh, to doing it virtually. But once they did that, I think the thing that kept us very successful and really kept us growing was the fact that we weren't relying on people to walk through our doors anymore. And we were reaching out, we were making connections and making great connections throughout um, our process of finding great talent and engaging talent as soon as they sent their resume in. So for us, I think it it made us more aware of the entire process, but it also allowed us to be kind of just in time. So instead of scheduling an interview or saying, when could you come in? Are you in the area? It allowed us to reach out to talent that was maybe not five minutes from our office. Maybe that was 30 minutes away or an hour away. It kind of opened up our eyes to that talent doesn't have to be in our backyard. And we can interview when you call immediately uh, through virtual interviews. So I think that those two things, which we've adopted since we've reopened to the public, really helped us maintain the feeling of being open, even though we weren't. So now you're back open. Are you still using those same processes or or kind of a mix? We're doing a mix. 
So we're allowing, if we have walk-ins, we have a computer lab where they can do all of their process here in our office, but we also are doing everything again virtually. Uh, the big change when we were virtual with the guidance from DHS on the remote I-9s, we were able to capitalize on that. And uh, now we are not remote. So we are using, um, the employee does eventually have to come in to provide that documentation. That is up and being discussed for change, right? Can you give us an update on that? Do you have any knowledge about that? Um, the only thing that I know is that they, the DHS was, um, they're asking for a public opinion on that and um, accepting on potentially changing the process from the visual uh, actual inspection of the IDs to the virtual inspection since it has been working during the pandemic. I just saw that they extended the deadline, I think, till April 22nd. I'm not exactly sure of the date, but it was April 2022. Um, that they have extended the remote capability of the I-9s for remote workers, uh, but haven't done anything yet on the physical inspection for non-remote workers. Mm. I've been watching that. I know that um, I think we can get that link and get that posted in our show notes. So if anybody wants to reach out and give some feedback, because I think that it's use- really useful for the staffing industry and we should step up and, and make that opinion. Absolutely. I, if I can say anything, please make your opinion heard. That could be a game changer for all of us in the, in the staffing industry and for HR departments that have multiple locations around the country. Uh, it could just be such a, a great opportunity for us to change and update one of these outdated processes. Great. So Sarah, one of the things you, you talked about, the advantages of going remote was that it made you more real-time, more just-in-time, and it expanded your ability to work with the talent pool who might not be coming through your doors. So that's kind of related to the bigger picture topic that's been going on for the better part of two years now. Where are all the employees? Is this talent shortage really a shortage? Is it not really a shortage? What's your take on what's going on in the labor market? Well, my take on the labor market is the fact that I think a lot of baby boomers just decided, you know what, I'm going to opt out of the workforce. We've known for quite some time that there would be a shortage. You know, let's face it, we weren't uh, making the same amount of people we were making (laughs) before. Um, So there's going to be less workers. And I believe that as we get more competitive with wages. Companies are, are more competitive with benefits and bonuses and, and opportunities. You know, the, the work for the number of people in the workforce, I don't believe is going to change. I do think that we saw the other half that wasn't baby boomers was the, the women in the workforce who made the realization that it was really expensive with childcare to work and have opted out of the traditional workforce and maybe are looking at other means to help supplement the income of their families. But I don't think we're gonna see those individuals who have opted out coming back in or coming back in a full-time capacity. So we're gonna have a, a real talent shortage for quite some time. Do you think that those women 
with the child care needs, they're, they're getting involved in the gig economy and they're moving into those kind of roles or where are they going? Um, it could be. It could be that some of them realized that they were pretty much working for free after child care costs. And with inflation and other things, um, I, to be honest with you, I don't know many people who have left the workforce to go into a gig economy. Um, but I think people are thinking about entrepreneurship. Um, I also think that people thought about priorities over the past couple of years and said, you know what? I don't need this fancy car or I don't need this amount of money. I'm going to simplify my life. And they've made other choices to live within their, their budget or the money that they could bring in. So I don't, I don't think that there's, they keep talking about people having this stockpile of money that is just all of a sudden, like we were saving more than ever before. I don't know any of those people. I'm not one of those people. So I'd like to, I'd like to know more about that, but I do think people's priorities have really shifted. Um, So as a recruiter in a light industrial staffing firm, if you're facing a shortage of workers because baby boomers are retiring and a shortage of workers because more women or parents are choosing that we can live as a one family income because net net, you know, we're, we're not making any more money by working. How do you solve your talent shortages? It's a great question. <laughs> I think that the things that we have to do today are really develop relationships with the employees we need to really listen to them, listen to what they're looking for and build more of an experience for that person that's coming in. So treating that every employee that comes through our doors, like they're the most important person in the world, because in reality they are, I, I, think, I think that's, it shifted us that way. But unfortunately there's no special pocket that you can find that you're going to say, oh my gosh, here are all the people. I think you just have to keep developing relationships, working referrals, and getting the word out that your company is the place that people go to find those types of jobs. I I really don't think that there's any other option besides that. I guess the good news in this economy is that people are looking for new, new employment all the time and things do change. But if I had a crystal ball, we'll give you one. Okay. (laughs) All right. And so you may want to edit this out because this may be a little (laughs) controversial, but if I had a crystal ball or I could have the power to do one thing to impact our employment industry right now, what I would do is I would have some serious talks about immigration. We have all these people coming to our country looking for a better life. We need them to keep our jobs here. We need those workers that are willing to work manufacturing jobs, um, hospitality jobs, some of the jobs that are, are paying now good wages, 10 or I'm sorry, 15, 20, $25 an hour. And And we will never catch up unless we allow more people into our country to work legally. I know they're here legally, but now we just need to ask, we need to allow them to work. And so if I was president, that's what I would do. (laughs) 
I think that's very valid and it is probably controversial, but I think the part about it that makes it less controversial is the idea that we need to find a way to give them a path so they can legally do that work. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right that that's what this country has been built on. And those are the people that can fill those jobs. And now they're, they're good paying jobs. They're not like in the past where it's working poor. Um, although with inflation, maybe it still is. I don't know. Well, and that might impact our, our working number of working people. If inflation continues to rise, that may force some people back into the workforce that have retired, that have opted out, um, because then it, it may no longer be feasible for them not to work. But let's hope it doesn't get to that because that creates a negative impact on the rest of, rest of the workforce as well. So Sarah, one of the things that I've heard a lot of staffing companies talking about doing is getting market data, showing clients, this is what it takes to get someone to go work. And you mentioned it, pay rates have definitely increased. We're not seeing $10, $12 an hour pay rates just about anywhere in the country, but we're seeing lots of 15 to 20, and in many cases, 20 to $25 pay rates. But is that enough? Is that getting people off the sidelines? I, I really don't think it is. It's the whole package for people. I don't think it's money anymore. However, I do think that people know that it's easy to get a job. So once they get a job, I I think it's hard to keep people. And if something happens, someone looks at them wrong, they don't like a duty, they don't like something since it's so easy to find something else. Because no matter where you look, people are hiring. I think people are jumping ship. And so the real war for talent is not just in the hiring, it's in the retaining them. And, and I think a lot of companies are struggling with that, no matter what industry you're in right now. That's it. Go ahead, Vicki. I think that goes to your reimagining customer service, right? And thinking about not just your clients, but thinking about the employee and what you need to serve that employee to help them reach their goals. Where in the past, we were able to just worry about our clients and their goals. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, and we actually talk about that a lot, that right now, our client, it's not the client company. Our client is both the client company and the employee. So how we would treat our client company, we need to treat our client employee which means listening, almost doing like a needs analysis with that person, really find out what they're looking for um, and matching it as closely as possible so that we can make that, that good placement. Because we know that if we don't do that, we're just spinning our wheels. We're working for free then, right? Because we only, only get paid if the employees actually work and they're not happy with us. And it, more people that are not happy with us uh, you know, that's that's a surefire way to have um, problems in this industry and eventually go out of business. Well, let's let's avoid that happening. I want but I want to come back to something. I really like this, you know, winning the war for retention. But what strikes me as a real challenge, like a staffing company, you could have an amazing candidate experience. You could be incredibly responsive. You can provide great information. You could do everything right. And then you send your associate out to a client and that client is a real SOB. Mm-hmm. What do you do to work? What are you doing to work with clients so that that 
talent's experience extends into how they're treated on the job? That's a great question because I think you're right. It's absolutely critical. So when you have a lot of job orders and you know, we provide, we do weekly check-ins with our employees to find out how things are going with them. And if they're not happy with something or we're getting feedback on a regular basis from our employee group about a supervisor or um, you know, something that they don't like about the job, and this we've had for years, is we actually share that information with our customer because you have to be a partner with them. Their business has to be successful in order for you know, the staffing company to be successful. So we share that information. We want them to um, have that and hopefully that they will grow. But at the end of the day, if a customer is not willing to change to help make their, you know, if we're just churning and burning people because the environment is poor, as a company, we have to make a decision. Is this the right place? And with supply and demand being what it is right now, the right place, you know, the right places are the places that understand that employee engagement and treat our employees well. Uh, it, it just, it has to be that way. Do you have a, an example of doing that? Has there been a time when you had to actually pull somebody off of a off of an assignment because it just wasn't getting better? Um, that you'd be willing to share, of course. Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> Names okay. can be changed to protect okay. the guilty. <laughs> well, so I can give you an example of a situation that happened not during this pandemic right now, That's okay. um, but I can share a situation years ago. Um, and we have walked away from clients who have not treated our employees properly or have openly discriminated mm-hmm. against employees. So our, our goal with our clients, I mean, we want to be, we want to follow the laws. That's part of our, our mission is, you know, is to follow all the laws. And in the state of Wisconsin, you cannot, um, you cannot take criminal history into consideration unless it is substantially related to the job. So we had a client years ago that um, they wrongfully discriminated against an employee and to the point where they told the employee that they would not hire that person based on their criminal background to be a permanent employee, but they were welcome to stay on as a temporary employee. That situation um, really was a very difficult situation to, first of all, hear that a client would tell that person that, and that they would make a distinction between the difference of, of a permanent employee and a temporary employee. And so it was a $1.5 million account, and we talked to them, we confirmed the story, they said, we just don't want those people working for us. It's our company, our business. And at that point, then I said, we have to walk away. I'm sorry, but we cannot do business with you because you are breaking the law. And so for me, that was probably one of the most difficult decisions to make uh, because that was a huge part of our revenue. How did it turn out? Well, for us, knock on wood, maybe it was the timing or maybe it was because we did that, 
Um, we were able to redeploy those employees and then gain some new clients because this was a very, very high maintenance day labor client um, that allowed us to triple our business um, within a year's period of time. So not only did we make up for that one and a half million dollar loss, but we were able to grow the business three times what it had been. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. Wish I would have done that sooner. <laughs> but it's always, always right to make the right decision. 100%. It's funny, Sarah, because I, you know, I, I see that that time and time again, when companies are willing to really stick with their core values uh, and walk away from could, you know, potentially a significant piece of business, a lucrative piece of business. Sometimes it's an internal person. You've got a superstar who just doesn't fit the company culture. Invariably, it's, it, it hurts to make the decision, but the net effect of being true to your values pays off, I believe, in 100% of the cases that I've seen. So love to hear that success story. Uh, building on that, though, let's, how else can companies reimagine customer service in the coming years? I think you need to, I think there's so many different ways. Um, number one is making sure that everything that you have is employee friendly. So, you know, what processes do you have that are not employee friendly? Is it difficult for people to get the process done? Um, look at your benefit offerings. What are you offering? How are you compared to your competition? Uh, what kind of incentives can you provide? What kind of referral program do you have? Uh, but then again, I think you have to retrain your employees to think about who is your real customer and making sure that everyone knows who the customer really is and that they treat them with that. So um, measuring your, your net promoter score so that you know, asking for feedback, um, doing surveys of your, of your talent and finding out what's important to them. I think what the next generation is going to want from us is going to be so different than past generations. And I don't have a clue of what that is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we keep hearing they want flexibility. They want to work with a company with a purpose. Um, they want to feel like they make a difference. I'm sure there's other things that are important to them as well. So we are just going to have to keep on that, you know, keep our ears close to the ground so that we are, are providing and, and changing and adapting with the, the changing workforce. And just smile and say thank you. I think the biggest thing is just having appreciation for the people that go out there and work hard every single day. Amazing what a small thing, a gesture like smiling and saying thank you, what a big difference that is. But people want to feel appreciated and, and then that's universal. And so often we take it for granted. You know, you're just, uh, you're somebody replacing in this job to get this job done, but they have a choice to be there or not be there. And I think it's and especially it's important when you're in light industrial staffing. Um, you know, Vicki, we've, we've talked to your father. My, so my father-in-law, um, Grew up as a machinist, uh, owned his own machine shop. Um, when he sold his shop, went to work for somebody else, was probably the most talented person on the team, was treated like he was trying to steal every minute from the company. And if I remember the one story, he was, he was two minutes late and they were going to dock him. I don't remember, was it like a day's pay? I mean, it was, just, it was something silly because he well, was two minutes is, late. 
he wasn't even late. The clock was, the clock time was wrong. So he clocked in and it had the wrong time on it. And then they docked him an entire day. For that, oh my gosh, that so kind of work in an environment like that. No one. Yeah. And that, no that kind of lack of respect for your workforce. And if you, if you don't respect people, then that whatever, whatever you act towards people comes back to you. And yes, you can't ignore the need to manage people or lead people effectively, but if you treat them like they're going to cause problems, they're going to cause problems. And I think a lot of work environments have trained their employees to treat temporary workers like it's a Band-Aid, not part of the team. Yeah, a cog in the wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Or they treat them as less important than any other employee you know, even less than less important. So I, I think I think that the companies though that are out there are really fig- the ones that haven't been treating their employees well right now um, are really struggling. And those that have figured it out are just making it better. And those are the ones that are winning right now. So, so Sarah, in your clients, if you looked at your best clients, the most progressive organizations, when it comes to their workforces, what are some of the things they do differently? Good question. I think that most of the clients that are doing things differently are, are starting with the onboarding process. So bringing that employee in, making them feel like the rest of the team, training them well. Uh, we have clients that are offering, you know, bonuses. Um, you know, if they make it through the first 30 days that they get a bonus, uh, you know, the 60 days, 90 days, we're seeing actually an influx in direct hire for light industrial positions, which is typically not um, very prevalent in the industry. We see direct hire for higher paying positions, but not direct hire for the manufacturing. And so that has increased office skilled, always has been um, a lot of direct hire for us. But companies are just, they're, they're trying to make their process shorter to get people in, to get talent in. And then when they do, they're taking a lot more time on the front end for that. Um, Besides increasing wages across the board, it's unbelievable that probably five years ago, you know, we were seeing average wages, maybe 10 to $12 an hour. And now our average wage is about uh, 17.50 per hour. Wow. It's a big increase. That's great. It's huge. huge. All right. So I need you to pull out your crystal ball again. Okay. So I want you to look forward. Um, You can pick one to three years from now. What do you think is going to be the key to success for Seek and other staffing companies over the next few years? I think that the key to success is going to be technology, utilizing technology to do a lot of your process, um, to help engage with employees, to educate them. And so that our, anything that's administrative or that takes a lot of time right now, that that time can be focused on building relationships. I think people really want to interact with human beings, even though we have all this technology. I I think that there's a, a, a big importance that must be placed on that relationship Almost like when you have an employee kind of going through their life cycle, that that recruiter can stay with that, that employee throughout their, their time with us and 
kind of be their coach, their mentor. And I do see us, I do see people coming to our industry as looking for a way to be flexible, to choose what kind of jobs that they want to do and uh, to make money when they want and then to go off and do other things when they want to do it. So I do see our business growing and I'm hopeful that uh, all the manufacturing companies don't uh, uh, just start building robots to do their business and they still rely on, um, you know, people to make the world go round. And if that happens, I think that we're in the right place at the right time. Or not if they build the robots. Okay. <laughs> no, but we understood. Okay. We understood. Right. <laughs> but but what sure. if they, let's talk about that, the robotics, because we're seeing a lot of that in manufacturing, but there's still opportunity for the human it, working with the coworker who is a robot that comes right out of the Welt factory in, in um, Germany. We, we got to tour that area and they call the robots and the humans coworkers, which is kind of an unusual. Well, they, they upgraded it because now they're colleagues. I know now they're colleagues because coworker was creepy, but colleague still is. But what do you think is going to happen? It, you know, that robotics is going to happen. That It has to because we have to drive out costs. And as a manufacturer, you have to do that. So what, what is that going to be an impact on light industrial and manufacturing jobs? I think that that's a long time coming. And here's why. I think the cost of admission for that is really high. Mm-hmm. So still being able to, you know, employ an, you know, an employee at $20 an hour is an easier fix for many right now is robotics technology becomes more affordable. I think we'll see that, but I think we're going to see that first in service um, industries. I think you're going to be, you know, served eventually at McDonald's by robots. And, um, you know, maybe that's not the case. I think that we'll all be self checkout when we go to the store um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see those types of positions are the first ones to become automated, and then the more manufacturing, as they can build machines to do more and more of that, I think companies will do that. Um, but I think the cost is really high right now for that to have impact in the next three years, maybe in ten, maybe I'm my maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think in ten years it'll be very different. Very interesting. What other technology do you think is going to shape? I, I know you're a techie. So what other technologies are you seeing that you're maybe implementing or looking at implementing right now? So I, you know, just as if we, when we looked at, you know, the phone, when we had the, um, the virtual receptionist, right? <laughs> um, none of us like the virtual receptionist. It's not a technology that's very customer friendly. And I think the same thing, the big technology has been AI and chatbots replacing people. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have much luck with those chatbots whenever I use them online. So I'm thinking that that technology might not hit what it needs to, but the technology that I think that's going to help us is technology that's gonna help us find people and then keep engaged with those individuals. So technology that's going to be um, automated, either messaging or emails um, that allow us to um, search the internet and to find individuals that match our criteria, um, better search capabilities within our databases that we've all built. 
so that we can we can reach out and communicate with those folks. I think that type of technology, being able to read resumes, being able to do matching for us. So we have an order, we could click a button and say, okay, here are the top three candidates in our database. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll focus on those instead of, you know, trying to find a needle in a haystack. I think those types of things will really revolutionize our recruiting industry. All right, so you kind of let in, and we don't usually do a pl product plug on the show, but I'm really excited, Sarah, to hear you say that because um, coming up, should, well, we're in beta right now, but should be launched live next month in our career portal software. Um, we've partnered with another company, an AI provider, so that we somebody can take the resume, take their Indeed profile, and it will tell them, tell the candidate how good a match they are to the job. And if they're not a good match, can tell them where they need to focus on building their skills. And it looks at skills, experience, and a couple of other things to say, hey, you are, are not likely to, to be the right fit for the way this job description is written. Although what we're finding is for that technology really to work is dependent not just on the candidate, but also on the recruiter, because the recruiter has to put enough detail in the job description so the software can match the resume. So when it's one line and it says, need somebody in the warehouse who can lift 50 pounds working these hours, that's really not enough for it to do matching. Absolutely. And that's probably the biggest struggle with any of that technology working. The information you put in needs to be better. So... All right. Well, I'd like to, to kind of wrap things up with one question for you. So your company, you said, has been around. This is going to be your 51st anniversary. That's pretty amazing. And combine that with in an industry where a third of the people quit their jobs every year, you've been around for 25 years at the same company, which is a pretty amazing accomplishment. So what is... Sarah's and Seek Career's secret of success. What has enabled your company to do so well and you to do so well? Well, I don't know if I have a secret to success that um, is anything different, but I'm going to say relationships um, probably is the big thing. Developing and keeping those relationships. I think one of the things I love about my organization and the team that I work with is that we can fight like brother and sister or mom and kids and, um, and you know, just be part of the family together, feel like we're part of, part of this growth and family. Um, but I, I think allow, the company has allowed me to take risks and allowed me to, to learn new things and to grow. And I, I, for me, that's just, that's so valuable. And maybe I'm old school. I am a little older. So loyalty is important to me. Um, but having an organization that just allows me to continue to grow and learn has been, I, I think, the big secret to success for why I've stayed at Seek and so many others have. When I, um, when I was researching to learn a little bit more about you, I saw that you wrote success equals coaching people to be better at their jobs. And it sounds like it's a two-way street. It sounds like Seek was able to do that for you. And now you're able to pass that along. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. The only way that you can define success is if the people that you teach to do the jobs or hire to do your jobs can do it better than you, then you know that you're a success. I just want to 
Well, well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to learn more about you, want to read about your five top strengths, um, want to connect with you and seek, what's the best way for people to reach out? Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And um, my LinkedIn profile is under my name, Sarah Luxinger. And they can, they can hit me up there, put in a friend request or uh, connection, and I will be happy to connect with them. Um, or they can reach me at our website at ccareers.com. Uh, there's a place for information. They can just reach out right there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Learned a lot today. Really appreciate your being a guest on today's show. Thank, Thank you. you so much. So that was the first time I've actually met Sarah Luxinger. That was a good conversation, but I noticed a theme throughout the entire thing of relationships. Did you, I think she mentioned the word relationship probably a dozen times in our conversation, the importance of relationships, which I think goes right back to that, you know, people in staffing. Yeah. Good thing it wasn't a drinking game. I'd be in trouble, but I, I, (laughs) I do think, you know, that's the company that's been around 51 years, an individual who's stuck with a staffing company and built her career uh, for 25 plus years you know, the, the fact that it comes down to relationships. And one of the things that stuck out for me is when, when you hear people say relationships, you think about relationship with the client, maybe relationship with the candidates, but she talked about relationships with her team. And, you know, we're like a family, we're brothers and sisters, we fight, but we get along. And I think that internal dynamic is something that every company wants. They want to have a great culture, but really thinking about what should those relationships look like and when they're really healthy, how do they function? I remember in my mom and dad's staffing company, they had a recruiter who was very successful, but her relationship was non-existent. She was competitive with the other recruiters. And I remember the day she left, now this is going back a while, the day she left, they opened up a a drawer on her desk and found 300 file folders that had never been entered into the ATS because they were her best candidates and she didn't want to share. It's just so wrong. But I guess that goes towards um, core values, which I think Sarah demonstrated as well with her story about the client that wasn't exactly uh, doing the right thing and was questionable about discrimination and legality of what they were doing and making a decision to step away. I think that says a ton about core values and, and you can't build a team and have those strong relationships if you don't all have those same values. So yeah. the, and, and yeah, I was saying, you know, in an industry that's as competitive as staffing and every company is talking about, well, our service is, is phenomenal and every company is implementing technologies to automate the process of communication or to automate database cleanups to what comes down to real differentiation is your company's culture. Mm-hmm. It's your mission, your vision, your values, and those things that tend to be like, you know, MBA 101 and they're too touchy feely for business, but that is the difference. And Sarah said, you know, we get, we cut a client that was a million and a half bucks a year to us that didn't fit our values, not knowing what would happen. And they brought in three times that amount, finding someone that did. I love that story. Yeah. And they were able to redeploy all of those people that had jobs. So they weren't putting anybody out of business, uh, out of uh, out of work by making that decision because they, they had those relationships with their employees as well. I do think that goes down to the shift that Sarah mentioned, and, and I strongly believe is happening. There's a shift in, in priorities happening in our world where 
you know, maybe you don't need to make as much money. Maybe you don't need the brand new car. Maybe you don't need that big of a house. Maybe those things aren't as important. And you're seeing that with the next generation, but I think you're seeing that coming out of the pandemic and maybe that's silver lining that we're all reevaluating our values. And that is at the corporate level, but it's also when we're hiring and um, the employees that we're hiring and, and it's not just about the money. Yeah, we need to pay a fair wage, but what other benefits um, are you offering? What other um, incentives can you provide? And those being her best clients, she mentioned that you know they have onboarding plans. They feel like they make the the new employee feel like a team member, not like you're a temp. You're part of our team and you're you're integral to our success. And the training and um, improving processes so that they can make hires without making it so difficult to to get that job. And then um, not obviously the wage increases. Yeah, I. I- going to kind of build on that because the thing that she said, it's not just the war for talent, it's the war for retention. And to win that war, you really need to listen to people. You need to treat all of your associates, you treat your internal team members and your associates like they're, as you just said, all part of the team. The thing to focus on is, okay, Everyone wants to make more money. They want money, more money in the bank account. They want to live a better quality of life. But as Sarah said, quality of life is no longer just money. Uh, wages have increased in her market 50% in two years to, mm-hmm. for, said, 10 to 12 to 17 and change. 70, 50, yeah. That's pretty amazing. But now how do I keep those people who can make significantly more money? How do I make them want to go to work? How do I, how do I, better serve their needs to be with their family. And one of the things she said, and I don't want the point to be missed is, you know, as staffing companies, our role is in delivering that flexibility. That's always been one of the values of temporary work, but today more than ever, that's why people are turning to gig work because they can do things when and where they want them. How do we make temp jobs with manufacturing companies and distribution centers and hospitality more resemble those gig jobs? And if so, it'd be easier to retain our workers and attract more referrals. I think what else she, stuck mentioned, out to you? she mentioned in passing the idea of doing a needs analysis and actually listening to an employee. What, what does this person need? Why are they working temp? Why are they looking for this position? What in their life is drawing them here and having that needs analysis and then being able to find a way to help that employee meet those goals. I think that's really core here. That's part of that deep, relationship and developing a relationship with one recruiter for that, that talent to have that one recruiter who can coach and mentor over time. It's also an idea that you don't hear very often and especially not in light industrial. Yeah. You made me think about like, we, she talked a little bit about the ATS and, and, the, and the value of technology and not replacing the human connection, but supercharging the capacity of the recruiters. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't say this, but what you just said made me think about it is when we search an ATS, we're doing a skill match. Mm-hmm. Does the individual have the required skills and experience based on what the employer has told us they want, but we're not matching on what are the objectives of the candidate? So can we match the, the person to the role by skills, experience, and their goals? That's going to be a better fit. Absolutely. But I think that ties into the strength finder stuff. And I don't want to let this go without the strength finder because I love- Oh, you're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? I am. I am. I love that Sarah put her strength finder, her top five 
right in her LinkedIn. I think that's amazing. I might have to copy that. I told her I was going to copy that. So hers were ideation, futuristic, individualization. I can never say that word. I mess it up every time. Achiever and arranger. What are yours, David? All right. So um, mine were futuristic, strategic, competition, ideation, and this one surprised me, relator. How about you? Well, a relator is I'm authentic and genuine, and you want to get to know people that are closest to you. So maybe that's why you have a podcast that I'm you know, <laughs> joining you on, because that's not one of mine. Mine are learner, which is not a surprise to anyone that knows me. Um, individualization, customizing to people and seeing potential human diversity rather than as, as a strength rather than a problem. Being an achiever. Um, input. So looking for resources for others and helping people all the time. And then responsibility, someone that gets things done. So I, I think knowing those things, and if maybe you do strength finders for all of your employees, um, and then you know how to work with them or where their best strengths are, and there, there's definitely a, a, an opportunity there. Yeah. I think anybody listening in, if you've never done the exercise, it's enlightening because strength finders, unlike most other assessments actually evaluates 34 different strengths. And it will show you not just what your top strengths are, but also what your bottom strengths are. And you, you can choose how do I build on the things I'm really good at? How do I work on the areas where I'm deficient or and what's usually more effective is how do I build my team to have people with complementary strengths? So if our organization is really going to grow, we don't have people who all have the exact same strengths because that usually doesn't get anything done. And we don't, we have people who can get together and put their collective strengths together to generate the best ideas, provide the best service and accomplish the implementation the most effective way. All right. We've kind of gone on a tangent. We should probably wrap. All right. Um, One more thing I want to make sure we do is um, we've got to get the link for the DHS remote I-9s. We need to get that in the show notes. We'll make sure we get that. Make sure your opinion is known on that. That's pretty important for the staffing industry. And we can use this um, podcast as a way to get that information out so that you can voice your opinion. We're going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Get it to your local officials, get it to the American Staffing Association, because they're always looking for people to support as they go advocate for our industry. Get it to your state associations because they can help in your local jurisdictions. All right, Vicki, I think that will do it for today's show. For everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. We want to wish you, your families, very happy holidays, or by the time you're listening, hope you had a very happy holidays and hope your 2022 is off to a fantastic start. Everybody stay safe. Thank you. 